Welcome into the second edition of the Inferno Soccer Insiders. Since the last time, we adapted a new name. That's right. I mean, the first one we just went with Sun Devil Podcast. That's what we named on the podcast, but we got a new name, and we brought in a new face this podcast. That's right. Another man on this coverage on the Inferno Intel coverage team, Nicholas Deller Singh, is joining us. So before we kick it off, how, how are you doing, Nick? And uh, are you excited to be on the podcast with myself and Jerry Walker, the host? Geez, um, first of all, I'm a little nervous because this is my introduction and I have to go up against the two biggest heads on Inferno Intel and just women's soccer coverage in general. So I am a little nervous, but I'm excited to talk with you all. I mean, <laughs> what's your response to that, Dre? You know, how are you doing? What's your response to what Nick said right there? Hey, I'm glad he's on. It's going to be fun, the three of us today. We all have been at the last two games, so we've talked a lot about the team and I think we got a good episode ready for everyone today. Yeah, exactly. Nick, don't be nervous. I mean, we've had long conversations about this. So I think you'll be well prepared. But uh, to kind of kick it off, I mean, they faced GCU in back-to-back games non-conference before they had the Pac-12, and they got two wins. You know, the first game was a closer game, a tighter one. You know, we, we kind of labeled it as an ugly win, 3-2, an extra time. But the next game was more dominant, 4-0. So I'm going to kick it off to Jerry. What what were your big storylines in it and your takeaways from that from those two games? I mean, anytime you play the same team twice in a stretch of four days, there's going to be a lot to see and a lot to know and just seeing the return. So after the first game, it was a close, close win, came back late down. We were down a goal with 15 minutes left, came back, grabbed Coach Winkworth did some changes and then a 4-0 win yesterday. So big turnaround. No, I agree. I think the, one of the biggest storylines, and I'm not going to take this away too much from Nick because I know he talked about it a lot, was I think 24 corners and they were only able to get two. So, I mean, when you have that much in a series, I think that's a huge takeaway. I think another takeaway for me was how, how much Coach Winkworth is experimenting his roster because we saw Jasmine in this weekend at the center back position starting the first game. We saw her at striker during the second game because they started man marking Nicole Douglas and we saw her at center mid. So I think what well, one of my biggest storylines is he's kind of trying to complete the roster before we head into the big stretch of Pac-12 where they were unsuccessful the last time they played. I mean, they got no wins. So I'm, this time I think Coach Winkworth wants to know he wants to experiment and wants to be sure of his roster. So I think that was my biggest takeaway. But what about you, Nick? What, what kind of things did you take away from those first two games? Well, going off of the experimentation, I mean, first of all, the set pieces, like you said, you go two for 24, that's 8%. The free kicks, they looked decent. You know, they're putting shots on net. But I think the thing that really got me, again, going off the experimenting is the first game against GCU, you know, they're trying to attack the middle. They're trying to send the through balls down the middle. It didn't work well. And then they come back to what they like to do, usually just going out wide and trying to cross it. It worked better in the 4-0 win. The one thing that really stuck out to me, and obviously it's a crosstown rival, is they were reckless. They were physical. They were reckless. But when it came to scoring, Jerry and I were talking about this. They played 99% of the game. You know, you couldn't score. They looked timid inside the 18-yard box. Yeah, especially in that first game at GCU. And with it being said, there was a, ra- a that was the first time they'd played against a crowd all season. It was the first true away game, and it's the only crowd we're going to see. GCU is allowed to have students there. They had a full-on band, so I guess that may have played something with it. But, yeah, Nick, as you're saying, they would get the ball into the 18-yard box, and then it'd be one too many passes or just the wrong pass, and then the opportunity squandered. I agree. I mean, it, it's going to be the most hostile game environment they're going to allow because, I mean, Pac-12, those stadiums are not going to allow, I mean, only family and friends, it seems, 
from it. So, I mean, that away, the way crowd, that atmosphere, it makes a difference in the game. It kind of sets up a more kind of environment, the more atmosphere, the soccer atmosphere that, you know, at the Sun Devil Stadium, yes, it's it's nice to be under the lights in the football stadium, but it's, it's not that type of environment. But I think what, what Nick kind of alluded to is the, you know, the chippiness of the first game, 21 fouls. I mean, that it, it surely was a physical battle. I mean, when you have that many fouls on both teams, GCU led with 12, ASC with nine, I, it was going to be a very physical game. And I mean, another thing about the first game, 29 shots to four. It seems like it's not a problem right now for ASU that, you know, they're allowing those, all, getting all those opportunities and they only won three, two, but headed to Pac-12 play, 29 shots and you're only able to get three goals uh, three goals through, I think that's going to be a huge issue heading forward. I mean, even yesterday, there were still 18 shots, 10 on goal, but got four goals. So they started to take advantage of their opportunities then. But that's something that, like you said, Edwin, we're going to need to see more of and more taking advantage of those chances because they won't come in as big of an abundance when we get into Pac-12 play. I think – Going off of that, you know, this is a bit of a reach, especially for Pac-12 play with the conference being probably the best, or I'd say even definitely the best. Um, as I was telling you guys, off of corner kick and set pieces, they should convert 20%. I think if they're putting up 20 shots, it should be 20% still. I know that's ridiculous, but when you're going to face, what is it, USC next, who's one of the top dogs, like you're going to have to put up goals because I don't expect ASU's defense to be shutting down any Pac-12 team soon. No, I think you you put it exactly. I mean, you got to take advantage of, and uh, Jerry and I keep kept discussing. It's going to be those little things in the game, you know, sharper passes, you know, better defense and things like that. Where right now you can get away with it because I think Cascapera hasn't had to make too many big big saves. There, there's been times where we're like we we applaud her for what she's done, but she hasn't been tested too well. And you know, Carlier has has done uh, has responded. Dars as well. That uh, that line has performed pretty well. But at the same time, how much of a test has it been so far for that team? So I think that's going to be a huge question mark heading to Pac-12 play. But it, it, it you know, reminds me of the next question. What adjustments do you both see they need to make heading into this uh, Pac-12 schedule? Um, I mean, I would say, like Nick said, defensively, that's probably where we're going to see the biggest issue is just the quality of strikers. Like USC has Terra... Tara McCown, who was just drafted into the NWSL this season. And she's one of the best scorers in the country. Seeing the threats like that, that GCU didn't have, New Mexico State didn't have, UTEP didn't necessarily have, it's just going to be a lot different. And I think we're going to have to clean up in the back of it. I, it was interesting to see Jasmine start after Darston started in center back alongside Carlier the last two, the first two matches. And then Winkworth made that change and had Jasmine in center back to start that first game against GCU. So I think just seeing the, what's going to happen defensively is what I'm looking forward to the most. No, I, I agree completely because I think right now it's kind of figuring out what that defensive line is. And for me, looking forward, if, if I was in Graham's spot, it's like clearly not. But if I was, I'd put Lucy in left back because I think she's earned her spot back there. She's been great moving forward, but also stepping back and being a, a, a you know, in that left back spot, you got Carlier and Dars. I think that too is the strongest, you know, center back deal you have right now. Um, and then in the in the right back spot, it was kind of interesting because Talia got her first start, and I think in the first few games she she performed well. But I think in this game, it, it was not the best best performance from her, and that's why we saw 
uh, Graham Winkler brought out Jess Hale, and I think she she did very well. I mean, the size Jess Hale does not have the size, but I think she's very good one on one in those situations. And Coach Winkler said uh, he believes that Jess Hale is the best one on one defender he has on the team. So why wouldn't you put her there? And I think something that's going to be interesting is Jasmine. I mean, he's moved her around so much. He's in, you can see that Graham really wants to put her on the field because he really believes that she's going to make the difference moving forward. But at what spot? Because in my personal opinion, you can't put her at that center mid, mid position because it's got to be Alexia Delgado, Ava Van Dersen, and Bill Hawkins, who I, I believe have been a great trio in the midfield. And that attack, I, I say you keep it the same. Nicole Douglas, I mean, your main threat moving forward. Nguyen just gives you that pacey side. And you got Vildan, who I think has been exceptional, except for the last game where she slipped up a bit and the defense was kind of getting to her. But other than that, I think she's earned her spot. So when you're looking at that team, I just don't know where Jasmine fits. But maybe she can come in as a super sub, you know, in 30 or 40 minutes, come in and get those key moments, just like, you know, Olive Jones, who was on the bench and did that same role. And it's been her best game, and that was in her super sub role. So I think that those are kind of the highlights heading into the Pac-12 for myself. Absolutely. Uh, it's just going to be interesting to see what happens going forward. It's a deep team from what we've seen in non-conference play, and that is probably why Graham is pushing so many players around, trying different positions. We saw Nicole Douglas play left wing yesterday instead of her normal top forward striker position. Just trying to figure out what's going to work and what might not work necessarily before we get into this tough Pac-12 play. I want to go back to Jasmine real quick. And I was thinking, because I was watching her when I was shooting the game, obviously. And what I saw when she was at uh, in the midfield or when she was up attacking, she looked a little more indecisive. She Like, I, like when I watch Alexia and I watch all these other – um, players, it looks like they have a plan A and a plan B and possibly even a plan C. And when I see Jasmine, I'm kind of afraid that she just only has a plan A. But yet when I see her on defense, obviously we already have her four. So like Edwin said, bring in a super sub. She is probably the most physical defender I've seen so far. She has gotten rough and tumble. She is throwing her body. I would love to have her come in in that 30th minute and just throw a body around and, you know, just almost get a little reckless, you know, tire out some of these attacking um, opponents we're going to be seeing in the Pac-12. No, I agree with you completely. She brings physicality. I think that, that's been a great thing. And she can be a threat in aerial. I mean, she almost got a goal that one time in that header that hit off the post and was able to finish off. That, that was her great play in the box to create that chance for the team. So I think the aspect of the game is – her best part, but I think what you said is very important, is I think she still is going to be a key contributor moving forward, and I think she can be a valuable asset. But I think she's a little uncomfortable. Maybe that's more chemistry issues. And, you know, when, you, when you've when been asked to move to from set, center defensive mid, center back, center mid to a number nine role, maybe a false number nine role, I mean, it's, it's hard to adjust and it's hard to, you know, you know fulfill your role when you not don't know exactly what it is and what they want of you. But I mean, so I think it's just going to take time for her to get more comfortable and things like that. But I mean, we we, we alluded to her early and I wanted to go back to it. Julia Cascapera hasn't had to do many saves so far. How do you guys assess her performance so far, knowing that she's, she hasn't faced too much? I mean, she's done what she's had to do so far and it's worked out. I, she's like you've said, she hasn't really been tested that much. Two goals against GCU, both plays came from crosses into the center because they had that dangerous number nine up top and 
kind of just cause trouble up there. So maybe just the aerial threat. But even then, like, this is a little bit of a defensive lapse on the first goal. Yeah, I'm going to go off of Jerry right there. I just – she's she's done what she's had to do. I, I think just going a little off of that, she's had to come out when she's had to, whether it's just clearing the ball, whether it's having to chase it down before the um, – you know, the attack gets there. So she's done what she's had to. I don't see anything that has made her superb, but I haven't seen her do anything that says, hey, we need to look a different direction. I agree. I think that's the way you got to put it. If, if you haven't watched these games and you're a fan of the team or, you know, whatever, and you're supporting the team, I think that's the exact statement. I mean, she's earned her spot in a sense over Amanda. I think she had the better performance. Amanda's only got one chance, but I think Cascapere looked more comfortable, looked more demanding of the defensive line. And Carly and Darts look uh, just better when, when Cascapera was back there behind them. Yeah, but, that, go ahead. Yeah, go that's ahead. something I was gonna just thinking and going to mention is just the defense seemed way more comfortable with Cascapera and goal. She's much more demanding, much more vocal about where everyone needs to be in the positioning just compared to Amanda. It seemed like in that first game there was just a little bit of confusion, not as much time between almost running into each other in the back, but – I think with Cascapera that he was much more vocal and they let they felt more comfortable back there. No, I agree. And I think something about this team that's different from last year, at least, maybe it's because there was no fans or, or anything, but it seems like they have more communication. I mean, Lucy Johnson throughout the game, you can hear her yelling. You can hear you can hear her voice throughout the stadium. You hear Alexia Delgado, the captain. It seems like this team is more kind of united and more kind of communicating better and things like that. Do you think that aspect has been a big improvement for that for that team? Absolutely. And I think it's been 15 months, more or less, since they last played a game. And I think they've that time they've bonded better, probably gotten to know each other more, practiced more, hasn't been the game. So I think that's pro- partially why it's been a little sloppy here and there starting out games. But I think just that time, the length that it's been, they've gotten to be a better team together just know each other better so that's all going well right exactly and you know before we head into other questions we were talking a little bit about Pac-Tel play and kind of proposed this question on you know you Jerry and if you want to pitch in as well Nick um last time they played in Pac-12 play no wins and the interesting thing is when they were going against the teams like Stanford USC UCLA the top teams in the Pac-12 Graham went with, with the five back and he kind of went more defensive and counterattacking minded, knowing knowing that they were very successful against those teams last year. Uh, Jerry, do, are you are you kind of scared if if Graham Wink were one of the five uh, five back and would you approve of Graham going into that formation, or do you think they should stick with their typical four three three formation? Um, it, I, like it probably depends on the game, but I think the issue with the four backs that could come up is both the wingbacks, both Lucy and then Jess Hale, they seem to go up and are very attack minded. And if the, if they get caught out with quick turnover and suddenly USC or Stanford is on the fast break with their, with their quick players who they have, because they have a lot more pace than we've seen with GCU and the other teams so far, I think that could cause some trouble. So maybe having that five in the back, will give them more chance for the wingers to, for the wingbacks to go move up field and just leave that three in the back to keep a strong control just in case that counter does come. No, I, I no, go ahead. I was going to just say, see, that's the, that's the moment where you could put Jasmine back in and you put her at that center back and then you just leave 
uh, Lucy and whether it's Talia at the right back or whoever, and they can still be those wing backs. And then you're basically playing with a three back set and you got two extra who can produce a counterattack or they could just stay up and create more offensive chances. So would you go, if we did go five backs, would you guys think like five, three, two, and then in that case, because we've seen, what we've seen recently has been a four, three, three, and that three up top has been super strong together. So it'd be tough to break that up, which I see is another issue with going to five backs. That, that's, that's the issue I'm trying to figure out myself, because I think that, th that three in the middle, I think has to stay the way it is. The hockey's Delgado and Van Dersen. So at the top, you're going to either have to take off build on or have her play that uh, right back spot and push maybe just Hill toward, toward the middle and go through that and have the two being Douglas and new win and kind of going through that route. It, it's very tough. In, in my opinion, I'm always in the belief that you got to go with uh, what works best in the four through three, but when you're playing against the top teams, you got to realize that playing five back is probably the best option. You know, sometimes you got to, counter their best attack and you know go for go for the counterattacking and that may be your best chances in the game you may not be able to produce chances from the corners and things like that so often so you're gonna have to take advantage of that but it, it it's gonna be very interesting because i think nick brings up a good point if graham really wants to stick with jasmine and really believes in that then maybe he, he slots in jasmine back there but at that same time you're gonna lose risky and vildon who's been key in, in the attack and you know coming back as well so that, it's going to be an interesting balance, at least in my eyes, if they do go with the five back. Yeah, absolutely. So now we're looking, you know, look, kind of giving a general assumptions. You know, we're not going to go into the depth about the games quite yet. We're going to do that more moving forward. But when you look at the schedule, they face USC right off the bat. And then the end of, end of the year, they'll, they'll face Arizona at home. They got a, a big slot of games. Vast majority at home with some some away trips for them. They're going to face the top of the top in Stanford, US, USC, and, th and throughout their schedule. Give me your game mark, you know, your prediction of how many wins that they can pull out. Because, I mean, in the polls, uh, the preseason polls, they have a Arizona State in the bottom, the very bottom of the table. Do you believe that to be true? And how many wins do you see of this team? I think part of the reason that, ASU maybe labeled it as a bottom team in the Pac-12 coming in was just that thought of that question mark that we're not sure necessarily how all these new players who have been part of the program and haven't played much, like Olivia Nguyen, or the new players who've come in, like Lucy Johnson, Vildon, Cardessler. And I think there's a question mark which put ASU at the bottom. Last year, they drew the only two games they got a point out of was with Utah and Wazoo. So I think this year, I could see three or four wins possibly for this team. Go ahead, Nick. Okay, going off of that, well, I'm going to bring a little fun here. Uh, if you guys let me go to every game and film, if and for people who don't know, every game that I filmed, we have won, and whether whatever sport that is. So I say if we film, we're going 12-0. and 0. If not, I say three to four wins. I mean, looking at the rankings, Oregon's right there with us. There's a couple of teams on that lower end of the uh, spectrum and the rankings that I think we could compete against. So, yeah, I'd say with uh, Jerry, three to four wins, unless you guys let me film. I mean, I mean, even last season, USC, they lost two to one. Stanford was three nil. Cal was one goal. There were about four or five games that it was just a one goal difference. So you just find that back of the net this year, suddenly that's a draw or even a win. Uh, it could be a completely different season. We could end up having more, but. Yeah, I I agree with you, Zach. Uh, 
Exactly, Jerry. I think this team's well more suited for the Pac-12 play. I think it was just a lot of question marks heading into the year, which led to a lot of, you know, bottom bottom rankings and everything like that. People are questioning, will they go zero wins again and things like that. I just think they're too talented as a unit moving forward, especially individual talent. They have the individual talents that can make or break the games in Pac-12 play, which I think is going to be the key, you know, which individual talents are going to make those moments. And with people like Nicole Douglas, Alexia Delgado, Van Durst, and Carlier, and those type of players, I think they can they can get those wins that many people don't expect them to. So I, I, I'm going to I'm gonna agree with Jerry. I think it's going to be the 4-5 win range. And I don't think that's typically a bad year. I, I think it's more a building toward next year. I mean, you have, you have a season in the spring. You're going to have the summer together. Then you're going to get new players. You're going to add more depth and more quality to the team. And then you're going to have, have the fall season. And you're only losing on a few, you know, a few key players after this season. But your main, main players are going to stay. So And you're going to be able to build. They're going to have more experience and just be better. So I think four or five, win, uh, four or five wins in this Pac-12 schedule is not something to complain. Yes, it's not their goal. Yes, it's not what they want. You know, obviously they're going to want to win all twelve. They they they'll want they will want Nick to go to every game, but I just don't think that's a realistic and be something that they're going to shoot for. So I think that's kind of their goal. Yeah, definitely agree with you. It's a young team, so looking even into next season, I think it's going to be a very beneficial for ASU having back-to-back seasons and not that fall spring off and then fall again. I think it's going to help that out. Player I'm interested in seeing is when she gets back is Nicole Soto. And just where she'll fit into everything, just because she's been on international duty with Mexico and then had to quarantine when she came back. So I think that'll be interesting to see where she gets put into everything. I have a quick question for y'all. With obviously just, I think, was it two or three seniors, right, on the team? They're technically allowed to come back next year because of COVID. Do you expect any of them to come back or are we going to say bye to them? Edwin, I'll let you go with that one. It's very interesting. I think someone for Laura Barbary, um, as much as she may be an impact in the locker room, I, she just hasn't had much playing time. I don't, I don't see the sense for her to come back and maybe compete because with that midfield, that set of the hockey's Delgado Van Dersen, they're just getting better in my opinion. It's not like we were seeing one of them regress or anything. So that play time will be interesting. And someone for uh, the prospects of Olive Jones, I think it's going to be dependent on the year because I, you know, when Olive coming in as a sub and her role that she's she's played, I mean, if she keeps contributing and things like that, and Graham keeps giving her minutes, I think why not come back? I mean, you're getting the minutes that you need. So for her, I would I, I would I would make more of a case for her coming back than Laura Barbary. Um, I, I would say a similar thing that you said for for Olive with Jess Hale is she's getting that rotational minute. She may even end up getting a start here and there in the Pac-12. She may, She's definitely shown that she can compete at the top level and control that right backside really well. So I think she could potentially come back next year. So just going to see how everything goes with it. And it's, yeah, I think it's very interesting too, because like you said, I think Jess Hill's earned a start in, in my honest opinion heading into the USC game. But if Bill Don, let's say, you know, he finds someone else to play that wing spot. I think you have to play Vildon. And if Vildon's giving back that spot in the back, then Jessel might not get the minutes, you know, as well. I mean, she may come off the bench and, you know, do clean up and give uh, time for Lucy Johnson or even Vildon to come uh, come up, uh, get some rest and then, you know, start the second half. So it, it's it's going to be very dependent, like Jerry says. It's going to be dependent on the last stretch. I think by the, you know, the home game of Arizona to end off the schedule – 
we'll we'll have more of a sense about the play time and who's going who should be leaving, who should stay, and in that prospects. But if I were to give my prediction, Barbaria, I say she'd be graduating and leaving, maybe pursuing other options. All uh, for me, Olive has the best chance of coming back, and yeah, Jess Hill is fifty fifty for me. So yeah, yeah Jerry agrees with that. Yeah. Beautiful. See, that's why that's why we that's why we talk. I mean. Jerry and I, we, 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 we always agree. We always make great predictions during the game. So, I mean, we just great minds think alike. So it truly is that way. But I mean, final, final question, you know, final segment, obviously, you know, we'll, we'll dive into this uh, deeply, but uh, Jerry, we did it last week. I picked Olivia Nguyen, you uh, picked Lucy Johnson, but we always pick our most impressive player of the last two games. So we're going to have Nick kick it off. Which player impressed you on these two GCU games the most? Well, I feel like I'm going to just take the easy answer and the answer that Winkworth chose, and that's Olivia Newing. I mean, she's leading the team with 10 points. She got, what, two goals um, yesterday in the, the home one here at ASU. She's been assisting well. She's been a key component to not just the pace of the game, but just the whole attacking style of ASU. So it's a pretty easy pick for me to take here. You can go ahead, Jerry. I don't know if you have your pick ready. Oh, yeah. Um, I was going to say Jessica Hale would be my player who stood out to me the most because in that first game at GCU, their number, their tall number nine was causing a ton of trouble in the middle and just getting their, her head on everything, forcing the defense to crash around her. And in that second game, Jess was assigned with pretty much man marking her down that right side and did a great job locking her down. She never really even had a chance on goal kind of just shut down the whole thing. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you completely. And that was what that was one of my options for it. But again, I'm not going to, you know, copy either of you. In my head, it was up to these three. And I'll tell you which one I picked. Carlier, I think she doesn't get enough praise. I mean, her what she does on the field is not going to praise. She had to man mark number nine uh, uh, quite a few times in the first game. She had to take away their best attacker. The way she's been controlling that defensive line. I think she's just been huge for that defense. It's going to be huge moving forward. Another player, Isabel the Hockeys. I mean, she's she's performing better and better as the games go along. She got on the goal. She you know she'd been called up to Columbia before, so I think that experience has has grown her as a player, and it's it's been showing on the field. And finally, Vildon Cardessler. Yes, the second game wasn't the best game for her. I think uh, the defense kind of was more aware because of her performance in the first game. I, I think single-handedly she carried the team to that first win because of her individual play. And yes, she didn't get that last goal, but it was mainly her. Nguyen was just at the right uh, right spot to get that goal. And that's why she's my pick, actually. I think Vildon has been getting better and better. And uh, moving forward, I think she's going to be one of those key, key factors that her individual play, if she does it like she has in GCU, where she can lead the team and she can break out when people like Nicole Douglas are getting band marked. And you know those type of players are are getting locked. She can be she can be the difference that will get a goal out of nowhere. She, she you know she's been a vital in the attack, but also when she's dropped back, she's done very well. So that, she's getting my praise at least for the player that impressed me the most. Yeah, she had scored that her, that winner in overtime, which she didn't, but Olivia tapped or tapped it in, and it was fine. But if she had scored that, that would have been an incredible goal, dribbling right through the center of their defense and slotting at home. Like question for you guys, just we saw Nicole Douglas get man marked yesterday and it kind of quieted her role in the team. I wouldn't say quieted it, but she had a lesser role. Do you think that's something we'll see more of in Pac-12 play? 
I would think so. I think if you're if any coaches, which they are going to, they're going to watch film. They're going to watch what the team does. And you see five goals already in these four games. You're going to start looking at that person and saying, how can we control her? You look at the second game of GCU, the way that number 19 man marked her. I mean, it was kind of dirty. You know, she would throw up the elbow here and there. She'll come for her ankles at any time, trying to make her uncomfortable, which is what you're trying to do. And what did that force uh, Graham Winkler to do? Push her to the wing and play someone di- unique at the number nine's role. Olive Jones played that. Jasmine. And although they they did decently well when they when they were in that spot, it was not the same as Nicole Douglas in, in that spot. So I think that's something that they should uh, other teams might explore moving forward. And I, I think it would be the smart thing to do. But I think it's uh, it's time for Nicole Douglas to respond to that man mark because if she can figure out her ways to you know get those attacks even and figure out the holes and figure out uh, how to uh, get away from the man marking at times, then they're going to have to, you know, double her up or, you know, figure out new ways to get, get her silenced. But I think that's the, that's the best way to defend her so far has been man marking. I know this is a soccer podcast, but I'm going to change it up a little here just to relate it onto my terms. I see this almost like the Brooklyn Nets, you know, you got, all this depth on ASU and like kind of comparing it to was it Harden, Irving, and Durant. So Douglas right now is like Durant, you know, you stopping her. But when you stop her, you can now have Nguyen who's got 10 points. So are you going to stop Douglas? Are you going to not try to man mark two? Can you do that? And now you have Irving, which is Jones, or you got Carlier, you got Delgado. There's a lot of depth and it's hard to stop one. So yes, you can man mark Douglas right now. You can do it the whole season. But there's other options on this team that can make this team dangerous and get some more scoring chances. I mean, we've seen it. They've had, you know, 10, 15, 20 chances each game. And so once they convert those, this is a team that you got to watch out for. Definitely a team who could potentially compete if their chances are converted. So final uh, final thing to wrap up this podcast, Nick, I got to ask you, I mean, undefeated. And, and all the games you filmed, you got to take us down the road. What, what, what games have you done? And why are you the lucky charm for all these ASU teams? You know what? I don't know. I, remember, I don't remember which games exactly, but it started last year with ASU volleyball, which freshman year I covered them. They went 0-20 in Pac-12 play. Last year, they won like five or six games, and I filmed three of them. Then ASU wrestling, they're just historically a good team. They always win when I film. They just win in general. ASU basketball this year, I get called in to um, film. And obviously, we've seen ASU basketball this year. They're not very good. They're playing Stanford is projected to win. And all of a sudden, Josh Christopher decides to show up as well as Bagley, and they just went off. So we win there. I hear, you know, ASU women's soccer has been struggling. I come up. All of a sudden, it's a road to a natty because we just keep winning. So Hey, 4-0 is a good start to the season. Let's keep it going. So, ladies and gentlemen, what you've learned today is the key to the natty is not the team. It's not the coach. It is Nick Zillersing having a camera and filming the game. So, ladies and gentlemen, uh, you're not allowed to bet, but if you were to bet on games, if Nick's there, I would put the money on ASU. Easy. Bet the house on it. <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, it's, it's been a pleasure. Pleasure to come bring. Thank, thank you both, Jerry and Nick, for coming on. Uh, it's always a pleasure hear us every week. If Nick, was it too bad? Day. Come on, Nick. You gotta admit it wasn't too. Uh, I mean, I was nervous still about how um, expert, how big of expert you were, but I felt like I was, you know, in training. Uh, I was like a master, but I wasn't an expert. You're our apprentice. (laughs) The apprentice. apprentice.
<laughs> and we're gonna have to have you uh, come on later in the season and talk. You know, during the yeah, Pac-12 play. So. Back on whenever. Yeah, we'll have you definitely hop on with us. But again, uh, just just a heads up: twelve game, twelve days until the next game. Jerry and I do have plans to do a podcast next week. We're trying to bring in a guest. We'll have that in the works. But definitely stay tuned. Uh, definitely read the content. Um, video pack is coming from Nicholas Deller Singh. On the website, Jerry Walker just dropped, dropped his game recap for the second game. I dropped a game recap of the first game. So make sure to stay tuned on Inferno Intel for all, all coverage on not only ASU soccer, but just all ASU sports as a whole. And make sure to listen to us on Spotify. And we have something on Anchor FM. But thanks again, ladies and gentlemen. And that was the second edition of Inferno and Soccer Insiders. Oh, yeah. Let's go, Devils.